we finished a short series on the answer. And uh, when I finished last week, I didn't know whether anybody come back today. Um, but the truth is what sets us free. And so we're going to move on today into another subject. This is when I was in... Um, yeah, don't put it up yet. When I was in... We were in uh, California uh, visiting our youngest son several weeks ago. Um, I was doing my devotions in the morning, and it's hard to do when you're in somebody else's house, and you've got a dog that wants to sit in your lap, and bigger than Molly, and, uh, and there's things going on, but I just pull aside, and uh, sometimes I get a, a message because there's just something in my own life that I know God's dealing with, and I begin to ask him, do you want me to share with the congregation? But sometimes that's a, just a title that comes to me. And a, and a title came to me, and then I began to realize why this, is, why this is so important. So before I give you the title, I want to kind of give you an introduction to this. I was an, um, out walking Molly the other day, and I've got a neighbor across the street, and he knows that I'm a pastor, and um, I've tried to get him to call me John, and he won't. He calls me pastor, and I understand the respect. Um, and, but he's, he, he's a wonderful guy. And he pulled up in his truck as he was, he hadn't seen us since we got back. And he just pulled his window down and he said, he said, what do you make of all this? And I didn't know he was talking about Molly or the grass or what was going on. I said, what do you mean? He said, this world's going crazy. What do you make of it? And I said, yeah, it is going crazy. We are living in a very crazy, difficult time. And, and, um, and we had a little chat about that. And then yesterday we were at a restaurant for breakfast and the owner of the restaurant, it's a small restaurant, uh, knows us. It's a very good, uh, very good food. I won't, and I'm, um, <laughs> it was very good. Um, and and he he's he knows why he knows what I do, and you know, and we usually say hello. But he he just kind of pulls us aside. He said, "What's going on in this world?" Now these are really not believers. My neighbor's a believer, I think. I don't know. Anyway, but this guy I don't think is. What's going on in this world? It's going crazy. And he talked about things that he found in a drugstore that was shocking to find in there that you would never think five years ago, ten years ago, that you would find in a drugstore, let alone anywhere else, other than somewhere that was in the dark and you had to be an adult to go there. And I just began to say, yeah, it is. This is a crazy world. There's, it's, it's going insane. And, and you know, you know, I know you know that. And, and that insanity can begin to work into our lives and wonder what in the world is going, and then what do we do? Are we helpless? I mean, we sang songs of victory, and this is one of the, the things that concerns me that can happen in church. We come to church, and we sing songs about there's victory in Christ, and we walk out this door and don't expect victory in our own lives. We just settle for what's going on. Well, that's just the times we're living in, and the church is becoming more and more irrelevant, and we're going to be, are being to some degree persecuted. It may well get worse. We're just helpless. What in the world is going on? Do we just, and I've said this for a number of years, God did not put us here just to survive, but it's to He who overcomes that the promises are made. So what, what is going on? And as I was preparing this, I thought of a, a, a movie. Uh, I was going to show a little clip of it, but I, we're not, it's not legal to, to do that. But how many of you remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> Wizard of Oz is a story about Dorothy who's in his, Kansas and she's caught up in a tornado and she's knocked on the head or something and she wakes up in this land of Oz 
and what she wants to get back. It's the long story, and uh, and on, and so the, the he, she's told by I think it's the good witch that um, that that there's a wizard in the city of Oz who can tell her how to get back home. And then on their journey to go to Oz, she meets these interesting characters: a scarecrow, a a, a, a lion who's cowardly, and a tin man. Uh, and they all want something, so they all go together to off to see the wizard, the wonderful yeah. Um, and when they get there, and in their their first, they're denied entrance, and then when they get in there, and they meet with a wizard, he's this big scary image on a screen, and he gives them some overwhelming task. They've got to bring back, what is it, the broom of the Wicked Witch or something like that. It's been a while time since I started the story. And so they go do that. They defeat the Wicked Witch and they come and bring it back to present him to say, now you promised us that you would, you would show us what, how to get what we need. And he gets angry with them and starts arguing. While they're arguing back and forth with this big screen of the wizard, Toto, remember little Toto? Toto looks to the left and goes over and starts pulling back this curtain. And you begin to realize that the wizard is not some big figure on a screen. He's some guy behind this, the curtain manipulating things. So the title of today's message is Toto's Revelation. And the title of this series, I don't know how long ago, is Pulling Back the Curtain. Pulling Back the Curtain. Because what you see going on in this world right now, and what you see going on in your life right now, is not caused by what you see. But there's things, forces going on behind the scenes, behind the curtain, and it's important that we understand that. There's a book I've read several times. It was written, I think, in the 80s. It's a Christian novel, but it's a very powerful novel called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. And it's a story of a town, I think, in New England, in a town where strange things start happening and, and, and there's an election and I can't remember all the details. There's a college there and somebody's daughter, sister disappears and all kinds of weird things begin to happen. But the, what the significance of this novel is it tells events like this and then the next chapter, the scene pulls back and you see what's going on in the spirit realm that's causing that. And you see demonic forces begin to work. Begin to see demonic forces begin to work in, in people's lives. And then you see angelic angels coming and opposing them. And it begins to reach this huge crescendo of, of, of really an all-out battle that's going on. And the people that are in this town don't understand what's going on. <clears throat> and, but what begins, it ends with, I'm not going to tell you the end of the story, but it ends by, by this great battle. And the real purpose of this book is to show you the importance, and the, the vital importance of prayer of the saints. Because it was their prayers that empowered the angels to overcome what the de- demonic forces were planning to do and were, had started to do. I encourage you to read the book. This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, that you will not put it down once you start reading it. So, let's look at this. Is this just a novel or are these just, you know, is this just 
somebody's imagination telling stories. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Well-known verse. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, we've taught on that before, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the deceits of the devil. We talked about some of those last week. Look at this, verse 12. For we do not, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, flesh and blood refers to anything you can see. So, look to your left. Go ahead, look to your left. Look to your right. What you're looking at is a person is flesh and blood. That's not who you're fights with. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkness, of this age, which may be well where the title of that book comes from, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, which I believe we're in, and having done all to stand, stand. So Paul is telling them, first of all, you're in a war. If you haven't realized that by now, today's purpose, really the purpose of today is just to awaken our understanding. For those of us that understand this, is to remind us. Because in the course of battle, we get distracted. And the distraction then means we start fighting the wrong enemy. And that's the second point Paul is making here. You've got to know who your enemy is. And if you're not aware that the real enemy is not flesh and blood, you'll be fighting against flesh and blood. The reason the church is so ineffective with the things that are going on in the world today is we're fighting flesh and blood with carnal weapons, with human weapons. And we're not going to go there today, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it's 10, says, for the weapons of our warfare, so there's a warfare going on, are not of the flesh. They're not political. I'm not saying it's wrong to take a political position. I'm not saying it's wrong to protest. But the weapons God has given us deal with what's really going on behind the curtain. And Satan has a vested interest in making sure we don't realize what's going on behind the curtain. Because as long as we're fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapons, he'll keep us worn out, frustrated, and discouraged because we're losing ground because we're fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapons. So it's important to know what's going on behind the curtain, not to be afraid but so we understand, first of all, we are in a war, and it's a spiritual war. And that we need to know who our enemy is, and we need to know what we've been given to fight the enemy, and then how to fight the enemy. Now, you can go to all kinds of extremes about that. Back in the 70s or 80s, there was a whole deliverance ministry, and people were seeing demons on every doorknob. So whatever, you know, when the car didn't start, it was a demon. Cast the demon out of the engine. Whatever was going on, you cast the demon out. And, 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 and we'll see some of that as we go forward. Okay. So Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord, not in your flesh. 
Be strong in Him, in Him, and in the power of His might, not your might, not political might, not human might, not the might of our flesh. Be power, be strong in the power of the Lord, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So there's a, there's a war that we're, you're in it. And the first thing we need to realize is you are in a war. Because as long as Satan can think, get you to think that you're not in a war, you won't fight. I can see this is going to be about as popular as last week. <laughs> you guys clapped so much when we announced that the, that the, that the cafe is going to open again. <laughs> Maybe I should change my message. <laughs> no, I understand. All right. Notice his weapon is deceit. And, and when you hear that, you can think, well, you know, that, that's not so bad. You've been deceived more than you realize. In fact, if you don't recognize that he's your enemy, you're already deceived. That's what this is all about. If he can get you fighting your wife, if he can get you fighting the government, if he can get you fighting your pastor, if he can get you fighting your pa- I mean, if he gets you fighting any other, any person or institution, he's already deceiving you. That's his goal. What happened in the garden? He didn't come into the garden and shove a fruit down her throat. He didn't come into the garden and exert any power. He didn't have any. What did he exert? Deceit craftiness. Genesis 3 starts out by saying the serpent is more crafty than any of the other creatures. See, Satan has no power over human beings unless it's given to him. He had to trick Adam and Eve into giving them, giving him their power and authority. God gave it to them to rule the earth. Jesus came to get it back again. So he ends his life on this earth before he's ascended to heaven. And what does he say in Matthew 28? All power or authority has been given unto me. You go in that authority and power. But it's not over people. It's spiritual authority and spiritual power. So, we're going to spend today just looking at some examples of this, just to kind of make us aware of what's going on. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. Here we go. Now, the background here is the nation of Syria is at war with Israel. And the king of Syria is getting concerned because every time they come up with a battle strategy and they go into battle, the, the Israelites are already in position and ready for their attack. So the, the king gets concerned and he, he gets his household together and he gets his staff together and he said, you know, once or twice I can understand, but this is happening every time. He said, I think we got a spy in the camp here. Somebody's, somebody's been leaking information to the king of Israel. And this servant girl, 
who I think had been a she's a she was a she's a slave taken from Israel. I think that's right. She said, "Oh no, sir. There's a prophet in the land, and the prophet knows what you're saying even in your bedroom." And then he goes and tells the king. So the king of Syria says, "Ah, I found what the problem is. It's that prophet. Where is he?" And he finds out he's in a city called Dothan. So he sends his crack army, and overnight they surround the city, and we'll pick up, we'll pick up there, verse fourteen. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, this is the the prophet's servant, Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, there was the army. Surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Now imagine this: they're just alone in the city, apparently. And the servant gets up to go wake up, get the sleep out of his eyes. He's going to go out get a cup of coffee. He goes up to the top of the ramparts, and he looks out because when they went to bed, there was nothing out there. Now they're surrounded. I don't know, maybe a hundred thousand troops. The city is surrounded. Everywhere he sees, they're surrounded. By their enemy, chariots and horses and soldiers, and he looking, he sees where they're really there, and he panics, and he runs down and grabs the pastor. I mean, the men of God, and he says, "Well, let's read what he says." I'll read it up there. And his servant said to him. Alas, my master, what are we going to do? There's got to be a panic in that. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, master? What are we going to do? Next verse. So he answered, "Don't be afraid. Don't have fear." Okay. Why? Because there are more with us than there are against us. And you can kind of imagine what must be going through the servant's mind. He hasn't had his coffee yet. I know that. <laughs> Sir, you, you you need really need your coffee because I don't think you've. I think you heard what I've said. I experienced that when they um, when they diagnosed me with cancer, my prostate, five or six years ago, and I had to go in and meet with the the doctors and what we were going to do and decide on how to approach it. And after they left, or before they came in. A social worker came in, and I'm grateful for social workers and their job. And I, we have some in the church. Their job is to kind of make sure everybody's, their whole family and everything can handle that situation. And so she sat down with me, and she she noticed that I was calm, I guess, because she said, "Sir, do you understand what they say you have? I mean, do you understand that? Because I wasn't panicking." And, and she and I said, "Yes, I understand, but I'm a Christian, and I believe that my God loves me and has taken care of me. And regardless of what they say they found in me, and I'm not denying that they found it there, I know what my Jesus has done for me." She said, "Okay, check me off and went somewhere else." But the the point is, is she didn't understand. Why I had peace. The servant doesn't understand why the prophet isn't panicking. 
And the prophet says, because there's more with us than there are against us, and the prophet, you've got to put yourself in the situation, because we are all dealing with situations like this now, where some news has come to you. It may have been a doctor's report, a suddenly like this happened. Or maybe it's just the news that's going on in the world today, but something is coming at your senses and your mind telling you a message that you're in danger, you're threatened, something's going to go wrong, whatever it is, it's a threat against you by an enemy. Threatening you. This was threatening to wake up. I mean, it's not like they got a whole army in the the city themselves. It's the two of them. So we live in this kind of situation. This is why I want to go through these to begin to take this Bible story and apply it in your life. So a threat comes to you, and it's real. Those soldiers and chariots were really there, and they were there intent on one goal, is to get the prophet. But to get to the prophet, they're going to have to get to the servant also. And the servants panicked, because he sees with his eyes the enemy what the enemy's doing and he has, he has no defense against it. And the prophet says, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's more with us than there are against us. And it doesn't say this, but I almost can picture the servant going back up and, with the prophet because they go up there and, and the servant going 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. 40,000, 50,000, 60,000, 70,000, 80,000, 90,000, 100,000, one, two. More are with us than are against us. And look what the, servant, look what the prophet says. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray that you open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain behind the soldiers was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The curtain was pulled back. And the servant could suddenly see the provision and defense that God had provided for them which he didn't see when he panicked. Now, how did Elisha know that? Maybe he saw it in the Spirit. But one possibility is just knowing the Scriptures. I'm going to look at two of them. One of them is Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fears him and delivers them. So Elisha would have been aware of this. The angels are right. Now the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe you have angels that are surrounding you? Of course, you've got to, be, you've got to fear the Lord. And that doesn't mean afraid of him. That means reverence him. Respect him. Make sure he's in the right place in your heart and in your life that God's promise is my angels will surround you and will protect you. Psalm 91, verse one of our beloved psalms of protection. 
Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Verse 10. No evil shall befall you, shall nor any plague come near your dwelling. But the point is this. The prophet understood something. He understood spiritually what was going on behind the curtain. And the, and the, the servant was responding in a carnal, natural way until God, at the answer of Elisha's prayers, opened, opened his eyes. We've got to move on. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues of Jesus on the Sabbath. Just keep going. And behold, there was a woman with a spirit of, a spirit, a spirit of infirmity 18 years. So there's a spirit here. And she was bent over and it could no way raise herself up. Verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Verse 13. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Notice what glorified God was when she was healed, not when she was sick. Keep going. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation and said, Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath... He said to the crowd, look, there's six days on which men ought to do work, which, by the way, he wasn't doing. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Verse 15. Then the Lord answered and said, you hypocrite, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox and donkey from the stall and lead him away to water it? Verse 16. Ought now this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, look at this, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed, from this bond on the Sabbath. Now, if this woman had gone to a doctor today and she'd been bent over for 18 months, 18 years, most likely they would have diagnosed her with some kind of arthritis or some crippling condition, which they would have detected through various tests, such as x-rays or MRIs or whatever they would have used to do that. But notice what Jesus says caused the problem. He's not, not denying that it was arthritis, but the cause behind it was demonic. So Jesus saw through the curtain of the physical situation to recognize what was going on behind it that was causing it and that it was creating it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Very important verse. By faith we understand that the worlds... Now we're going to talk about the beginning of everything that we know. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, were created by God's words. And if you go back to Genesis, you know what they are. Let there be. So that the things which are seen, the things which are on this side of the curtain were not made by things that are on this side of the curtain. I've often used a silly example. It's not like when God decided to create this world, He commissioned the angels to go to Lowe's, Home Depot, Amazon, and collect all the materials, and then He, hired, you know, he had construction angels and design angels, and, and He had them build all this. No, God just spoke it. But it came from somewhere. It came from out of the unseen realm, 
into the seen realm. So that Hebrews is telling us that the stars, the universe that we see and we, we search out after and they're sending you know, probes and all these things out to Mars. And by faith we understand that they were framed or created by the Word of God. So the things which are seen on this side of the veil of the curtain were not made by things on this side of the curtain, but they came from the other side of the curtain, which is where God lives. Notice it's by faith we understand this. So our scientists and our, our, our astronomers and our astrophysicists and all these other physicists are trying to figure out where all this originally came from because the human mind works that way. And from what I understand, and I don't, not any of those things, nor inclined to want to be one, all they can do is go back and think at some point there was some great explosion and they, they don't know where whatever exploded came from so that really didn't solve the problem because something has to come out of nothing or where did the something exist and they call it the Big Bang Theory and I agree with the Big Bang Theory but I know that it's words not a bang let there be and there came into existence but you can only know that by faith, not by all your scientific investigations. They'll never come to the same conclusion because God said it's only understood by faith. So that's the beginning. Now let's take a look at the end. Let's go to, to Revelation chapter 1. This is Toto's revelation. Revelation chapter 1, starting verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation of the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island called Patmos, island called Patmos, for the word of God, which, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he was banished to this island because of his testimony of Christ. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? To be in the Spirit means, and we'll talk about this a little later on, not today, but the, to be in the Spirit means you're more conscious of the spirit realm that's inside of you and the spirit realm that you're part of then you are the physical natural realm. If you've ever been so deeply in prayer you lost track of the time and lost track of where you were, you were in the spirit because you lost consciousness, awareness of the physical situation around you. On the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud sound as of a trumpet. Verse 11 saying to me, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, what you see, write in a book, which is this book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice. Remember, he's in the Spirit, so he's not looking with physical eyes. To see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Keep going. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. And his head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Stop there a second. Whenever you read in Revelation, whenever you read in some of the, the visions that like Ezekiel had and Isaiah had, understand this. They're seeing... They're seeing images and experiences for which there are no words in their vocabulary. 
When you talk to somebody, you, 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 your mind pictures something and your, your mind goes through your vocabulary to find a word that most closely matches that. So when you read, his hair was white like wool. It wasn't wool. He's seeing Christ in his glory. And he's, look, his mind is searching for words he had that come as close as possible to describing what that looked like to him. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, verse 15. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice the sound of many waters. So he's seeing behind the curtain. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, his face was like the sun shining at his full strength, verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as one dead. Stop there a second. The last night before Jesus went to the cross, at that last supper, John's Gospel says that he was lying next, because they reclined on their, was lying next to Jesus with his head on Jesus' chest. Notice he doesn't put his head on Jesus' chest here. Notice his reaction because he was seeing the Word made flesh. He was seeing in the, in the Last Supper, he was relating to Jesus in his flesh on this side of the curtain. Now he's seeing what he's really like on the other side of the curtain and he's not laying his head on his chest. He's falling down out of reverence for the glory and the holiness of his Lord. But he said, he laid his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Verse 18. I am he who lives. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Stay there a second. Keys represent authority. The keys to your car is what lets you get in, and you have those keys, hopefully, because you own that car or you lease it and you're entitled, you have possession of that car. Hades is not hell. Hades speaks of the unseen realm where spirits go when they die before they're ultimately sent somewhere. So he says, I have the keys of the unseen realm and of death. All right, we've got to move on. Oh, we have to move on. Everybody okay? All right. So why is it important? Why is it important to understand what's behind the curtain in our nation? What's behind the curtain in our community? What's behind the... There's something going on behind the curtain at your job. Where you're living in your neighborhood. Some of you are living in some tough neighborhoods where there's stuff going on in your building, across the street. Understand there's something behind that. You're looking at and reacting to what's on this side of the curtain. But I pray that Toto... (laughs) would pull the curtain back for you. And we'll talk about what that means going forward. So why is it important? Well, first of all, there's a bigger picture to what's going on than what you can see and what you're hearing. So regardless of what you're hearing in the news, regardless of what you're experiencing, there's a much bigger picture of what's really going on and there's much more at stake with what's going on behind the curtain than what's going on in this side of the curtain. 
We may talk about that as we go forward. There are spiritual forces positioning themselves, I believe, for the end. Things are moving into place and you can see some of them. What does that do? What did Jesus do when he told things, told them what was going to come? He said, the whole purpose of the book of Revelation, if you read the beginning of it, is to encourage us, not scare us. Oh, there's scary things in there. But Jesus said, I'm telling you stuff. Often he told them, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you know when it comes, God's got control. This is not beyond his ability. God understands if you pull the curtain back, God's still involved here. It may look like it's out of control. It may look like it's going downhill with no brakes at 60 miles an hour. But you pull back the curtain, God understands what's going on. So that's important. It's also important so you don't react. Because when a threat comes up like, oh, Master, we're surrounded by soldiers. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? The, pe- the servant panicked because he was looking at what's on this side of the curtain. And the prophet brought an answer and reason because he, the rest of the story is he basically led the army away and it got blind. So, but he didn't panic because he understood what's going on behind the scene. If we don't understand what's going on behind the curtain, we fight the wrong enemy. We've already talked about that. And that's Satan's scheme, his device, is to get us mad at people, angry at people. And we're very good at that because we get a righteous cause, we can really get worked up. And when we do that, we're fighting with carnal weapons and they actually boomerang back on us. We empower the enemy. The church gives so much power to the enemy that we don't realize we're doing because of words we speak. And by understanding this, we can learn that in our warfare, who the real enemy is, but also the weapons that we've been given. And then finally we'll learn that the church has a role to play in this war. And the sooner... The thing about a war is the sooner you recognize you're in it, then you'll begin to fight it. But it's hard sometimes. If I'm in a war, I've got to do something. I've got to come to church. I've got to pray. I've got to do things I don't want to do. Okay, don't do them and lose. When you realize what's at stake, you'll do what you need to do. When we're lulled into this, well, things are just bad. This is, you know, there's nothing much we can do. Then we just kind of lay back and take it, which is exactly what Satan wants us to do. Acts chapter 20. Now, I'll tell you why we're going here, because I'm going to come back to it. We started in, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is a story in the book of Acts, where Paul is making his final circuit of churches that he started. And he he comes to a place called Miletus and he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus, a church that he had founded and loved dearly. That precious book that we have of Ephesians is what he wrote to that church. And now he's preparing them. He's not coming back there. He's here here to say goodbye to them. And there's a a lot that goes before this. But here's part of his final instructions to them. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock... Christians, that are among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's talking to the leadership of the church to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's why I value you. 
I don't take lightly the responsibility I have because you have been purchased with his precious blood. And the people that are around you that you get upset at have been purchased with his precious blood. For this I know, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, he's not talking about four-legged animals with big teeth. He's talking about spiritual enemies coming in. People that are being sent there by satanic beings. Not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to be drawn away, draw away the disciples after themselves. Now go to, go to uh, Ephesians 6. I want to end with the same verse. Put Ephesians 6 up again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. What did he just talk about? He knew that when he left, spiritual forces were going to try to make inroads into that church to either devour the Christians in there, which means to get them to walk away from Christ, or to delude them with false teaching. And he called them wolves, and he called the others people that would come in. He says, to do this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the deceits of the enemy. So he was preparing them, knowing what was going to come. Verse 12. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Those people in your church that are giving you so much trouble, guys, that's not your issue. You've got wolves trying to get into the church. You've got deceivers trying to get in the church. That's who your weapons are to be used against. So God knows... That's okay. God knows. God knows the enemy's scheme against your life. So it behooves us to learn how to be sensitive to the spiritual things that are going on. I'm not talking about demons on your doorknob, demons in your engine. I'm talking about at least asking God the question, what's really going on here? Why has my wife suddenly become so nasty in the morning? Not mine. (laughs) Maybe, just maybe, it's not her. Why is that situation at work so difficult? I want to leave there. I want to go somewhere else. Maybe God's put you there for a reason. Because what's going on there really is going behind the curtain isn't that nasty boss or that nasty coworker? And maybe the people that you live around, maybe you, God wants you to recognize. I don't know. I'm just asking, telling you, you need to at least ask God the question. Not every person that Jesus healed did he cast a demon out. What's behind? So I want to leave you with some questions to ask yourself. What are the issues in your life right now that you're looking at and you're fighting for or about that are from your, 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 you're looking at them from the perspective of this world? Just begin to think. You don't have to do it here, but sometime this week, just spend some time thinking. Maybe talk about it on the way home. What are the issues in our life right now that we're fighting against? And we're fighting against 
What's on this side of the curtain? Second question. What are the issues in the world today that you're looking at and reacting to from a human perspective? What are the things that get under, burr under your saddle? What are the things that get you all stirred up on social media or the news and you're all angry about these things, but you're looking at them from this side of the curtain? And finally, what difference would it make if you, in each of these situations, look for the spiritual issue that may be operating behind the curtain? Let's pray. Father, we pray so often that you would open the eyes of our understanding that we would see the hope of your calling for our life is in Christ. But you're teaching us and preparing us and arming us so that we would be able to exercise the authority that you've given to us in a way that's effective, in a way that produces your results so that your kingdom can come and your world can come into our lives, our family, our workplace, into our communities and into this nation in which you placed us. We've seen a little bit from your word today, Father, that it's so tempting and so easy to forget that there is a curtain, a veil, called the veil of flesh. And that we live our life so much on this side that we assume that everything that's going on is something we see, feel, think, and can understand with our natural mind. So, Father, help us to see behind the curtain of our life this week. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Thank you for the Word of God that you've given to us. And you can use both the Spirit and the Word to begin to show us these things in our lives. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you put us here to be victorious, not to fail. You put your church here to be strong in this time, not weak. You put your church here to, to overcome and not be overcome by. But we need to have our eyes on the right enemy. We need to pick up the right weapons and we need to wear the armor of God that we would not be deceived by the wiles and tricks of the enemy. For this, we need the precious Holy Spirit, not just in our lives, but filling us with His boldness, with His presence, with His wisdom, with His discernment, with the gifts of the Spirit, Father, not just in church, but in our daily lives, that the gifts of the Spirit may begin to operate. Father, help us to be open, because they bring into play what's behind the curtain in each of these situations. And so for these things, Father, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.